I don't want to brag, but I've lived in the same house for 14 years. I don't know if that's something people brag about. So that was a funny way to start a sermon, but this is the longest I've ever lived in any one location my entire life. And so we moved in right before our second daughter, Hannah, was born. And she's turning 13 this week, which is crazy. So we've been there for 14 years. And over that time span, we have had, we've hosted like hundreds of times over those years. And um, we've had a gazillion meetings, a gazillion. Um, We've had cornhole tournaments and campfires and birthday parties. And we've probably made upwards of 254,000 cups of coffee in that time frame. You think? Somewhere around that. Um, But we've had a good run in in that house. Um, But let me confess something a little bit less, a little bit more real. In that time frame, in those 14 years of living there, I have not once had a meal with one of my literal neighbors. And, and it's not like I haven't had the chance. And for those of you who are crunching some numbers, okay, one dinner per day over 14 years. Let me save you the time. That's like 5,100 meals. 5,100 dinners that I could have invited my neighbor over for. And yeah, there's date night. And yeah, there is birthday parties and blah, 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 blah. I can make all kinds of excuses. But the reality is I've had all kinds of opportunity, but I've yet to make that a priority. And as a professional Christian, what I am, I don't know if you guys knew that. As a professional Christian, I have become skilled at self-justification. Like, I mean, I'm serving all these other people. I've busied myself with meetings and with, you know, services and all these things. Or I've just honestly just been too self-absorbed to walk across the street and knock on the door and say, hey, my name's Tom. What's your name? And this is one of the many ways as a human being that I have mislived. And so I want to start off this morning, my talk on the art of neighboring with confessing my sin before you guys. And in the words found in the prayer of confession in the book of common prayer, I'm just going to pray. Most merciful God, I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by things I have done and by things I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart, and I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. Welcome to Vision Sunday, everyone. It's maybe an awkward way to start, and maybe that was a terrible idea, but I just, the reason I wanted to start that way was intentional, and it's because I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to stand up here before you guys. It's like, man, guys, I have mastered this. And so listen up to what I'm saying. The, the reality is the truth is many of you guys in this room are way better at neighboring than I am. Know your neighbors, have them over for dinner, are super involved in their lives. But that's not the case for me. And, but the reason I'm starting this way is because the, the truth is um, that there's this scripture that is kind of baffling that the Apostle Paul, he says this, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that's my thought here. It's like, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses, guys, so that the power of Christ can rest upon me. So we begin this morning with the grace of God. That all at first and last is actually grace. That God is not only able, but wants to use broken people like me. And maybe like you. Broken people who struggle to stop the self-justification and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
Broken people who struggle to slow down long enough to see the world around them. Broken people like me who struggle to stop being so self-absorbed and to see other people. So this morning, I come to you not as an expert, but as a broken yet forgiven human being. This is my boast. I boast in Jesus Christ. I am one to whom grace and forgiveness has been extended. Grace, which is this undeserved and unearned favor from the God of the universe. God has extended grace even to me, a selfish, scared, cynical, distracted, often grumpy human being. And so this morning and every morning, we must begin with grace. This most beautiful reality that there is nothing that we could do to make God love us more. And there is nothing we could do to make God love us less. That Jesus Christ has shared his life with us. He has traded our sin for his righteousness. Our delusion for his clarity. Our weakness for his strength. I declare this morning that God is with us and that God is for us. And he is the one who loves us just as we are, but as we say all the time, not enough. He loves us too much to leave us that way. So by grace this morning, I believe that God is wanting to teach us something. That God, in his goodness and grace and mercy over time, is going to transform us into the image of his son. And that, in fact, we are but clay and he is the potter. And so we want to submit ourselves to Jesus this morning in his teaching, his instruction, his ways, his purposes, his plans. We were singing about his goodness this morning. We're talking about how it's, he's so powerful and wonderful and beautiful. And so let me, I'll try to keep this as simple as possible when I talk about the vision for this year. Um, so the vision is simple, but I believe if learned by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, our vision and mission that we talk about all the time in Allison as it is in heaven, if, if we can embody this and learn this from Jesus by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, um, things are going to look differently in our communities. And the vision is just this. We're going to learn to love our neighbors as we have been loved. We're going to learn to love our neighbors as we have been loved. Let me read to you the story um, of the, the Good Samaritan, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll talk through what this could look like. So this is from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, What is written in the law? He asked him, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And listen to this line. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? I mean, really, who's my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. 
Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit. We invite you this morning to come close to minister to us the love of Jesus, the love of the Father that they have known for all eternity and that they long to share with us. And so, Lord, as we think about loving our neighbors, we realize that we can only love because we have first been loved. And so this morning, as we think about this, as we talk about this, I just ask that the love of God would be thick in this place that it would be rich, that it would be um, ministered to our very spirits, God, that the good news of the gospel, that the grace of God would, would just resonate and reverberate and transform us. And so we thank you, God, that you have found us and rescued us and redeemed us and that you are not even close to done with us. And so help us become more like you today. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, we've done a ton of thinking and teaching over the last couple of years about this idea of discipleship and becoming like Jesus and being with Jesus and doing what Jesus did. And we're, we're reframing everything we're doing around this idea. And one of the things I, I always want to come back to when we're talking about this, I find really helpful is we think about Jesus as, um, sometimes we can have the wrong picture about him, but, and there's many, Jesus is multifaceted in all of his beauty and splendor and wonder. But one of the things when we're talking about just learning how to be a human being is we forget sometimes that Jesus, Jesus is actually really smart. That he's a genius, actually, I would say. And maybe a more theological way to say this is, is this, that Jesus Christ is the embodied wisdom of God. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is the embodied wisdom of God. So we're reading through the Proverbs uh, each Saturday morning. We're, we're actually learning about who Jesus is. And he lived all those things out perfectly and fully. So when we read teachings from Jesus, when we read parables from Jesus, let's keep that in our mind. We would actually do well to listen to what he's saying. He actually knows what he's talking about is what I'm trying to say. Not only is he king of kings and lord of lords, he understands what, it, what it's like to be a human being. He's not off in la-la land like, just do this thing. He's like, he walked in the dirt. He had to get up in the morning. He had to go to sleep at night. He knows what it's like to be a human being. And so he lived and walked right here on planet Earth which I don't know if you realize this is inhabited by a bunch of broken human beings. Um, I've, we talked about this. Dan did a brilliant job of talking about this idea a couple weeks ago, but it is very easy for us as human beings, and maybe even specifically people in the church, to get overwhelmed by the state of the world. We can become fearful and afraid and withdrawn. And the brokenness, the violence, the injustice, the darkness, we don't know what to do. We don't know where to start. And so we hide. Or we become kind of like isolated or indifferent because it's just too scary. And there's, there's a really interesting part of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. He says, hey, Father, don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. So it's not like we're, the job, the, the, the instructions Jesus has, the heart Jesus has for us isn't to remove us from the world. He's placed us here for a purpose. 
He has a plan and a vision and things set out for us to do. Um, and, and he wants us as his, as his disciples, as his followers, to partner with him in his mission, which is to seek and save the lost. Jesus is on a mission to reunite heaven and earth, to reunite God and man, to go after the, the, the one and leave the 99, all those things. And he wants us to be a part of it. So what, the point I'm trying to get out here is what if God has something to say about all the darkness and injustice and violence and brokenness around us? He's not aloof. He's not indifferent. Maybe his solution, though, is often overlooked in how we live our lives. And what if our role in his plan is a lot simpler than we tend to make it? In the story we just read about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the, the wise lawyer comes and he, he gives Jesus the great commandment back to him. What's the, greatest, what's the greatest thing in the law? And he repeats the right answer. He has the right answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus adds, in, in Matthew's uh, retelling of, that sto- of, a, of a similar story, Jesus adds this, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Meaning like when you love God and when you love people, everything I have in my heart for this world is accomplished. And so if God's law and prophets are, are pointing to a deep desire to get the hell out of earth, to remove hell from earth, all, all, everything Satan has unleashed, everything sin has unleashed, everything shame kind of keeps us in, God is working to remove all those things. Um, wouldn't this address this very reality right here, right now? So what if this very simple command is the solution to all of our society's issues? What if Jesus was actually serious? This wasn't like a metaphorical thing. Like, yeah, love the Lord with all your God, God, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors. Just try that. What if he's actually really serious? That the love of God and the love of neighbor is the way the kingdom of God is revealed. And so there's a temptation as a pastor for these vision Sundays to come up with some grand new thing that is ends up often being really complicated and doesn't make sense and is really hard to follow through on. So the vision is really simple. It's to learn how to practice the second part of the great commandment. Trusting that God actually realizes there's some, that, that, that can accomplish way more than we realize. Because remember, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God personified. So we would do well to listen to him. Jesus is well acquainted with our existence here on planet Earth. He knows what broken human beings are like. And that God, Father, Son, and Spirit, they want to get the hell out of Earth. And this is what he suggests as the solution. Love God and love your neighbor. And so we can very easily forget and become overwhelmed and overcomplicate things and maybe try to dismiss the very thing God's asking us to do. And so the, Jesus reminds us and gives us a really practical and simple plan that we can actually put into practice. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to focus in on the second half of the greatest commandment. And so I want to talk through these two questions together. If we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves, what does love look like, and who is my neighbor? Isn't it funny that if we're honest, at least for me, uh, we think a lot about loving our neighbors in terms of just getting them to come to church. And that's not wrong. We want people to be a part of the family of God. We want them to come and experience community and experience the presence of God. But that can't be our only goal. And so that's often where we, we, we kind of start off on the wrong track. Like, okay, to love my neighbor means they're going to come to church with me on Sunday mornings. 
And we're wanting to help them. And we're thinking, like, I, I bet you my neighbors are walking around from 10 to 12 on Sunday mornings, like, just not knowing what to do with themselves. And maybe they just don't even know that church is here at the circle. And actually, they're, no, they're probably having a great old time. Probably more fun than we're having right now. But, um, but uh, what if we reframe things? Because I'd, I'd like to suggest to you that they're walking around looking for someone who will love them unconditionally. They're walking around looking for someone who will see them like the real them, not the, the, the false self that they project, and will not turn away. I'd like to suggest that they're walking around looking for someone who will listen to them, all their fears and anxieties and hopes and dreams. They're walking around looking for someone who will look them in the eye and treat them with dignity no matter what their past, present, or future may hold. I'd like to suggest to you that they're walking around looking for someone who will tell them jokes and listen to their stupid, lame jokes. Honestly, like, don't, don't you want that? Like, I want that, guys. Um, they're, they're walking around looking for someone who will eat with them and cook for them. And just sit and be with them. They're looking for someone who will help them with their very real need. Not only to move around boxes in the garage, but to help get through their divorce. Our neighbors are looking for a savior. Our neighbors are looking for a friend. Our neighbors are not looking just to come to a church service. It's probably the biggest understatement I'm ever going to make from the pulpit. Jesus is the greatest neighbor of all time. This may sound trite, but it's true. Jesus Christ, king of the universe, came down from heaven and moved into the neighborhood of human existence. He is God with skin on. And Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. And he is also the friend of sinners. He is who our neighbors are actually, in fact, looking for. And we know this, but it's good to just be reminded, like, to the depths of which we all need Jesus. Because the reality is, we're all looking for the same thing. We just happen to have been found by Jesus before they were. So we've been there. We are there in some ways ourselves. And so we have um, maybe just a little bit more insight into the, the, to the solution. And I think Martin Luther once said that what Christians are, or who Christians are, are just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And that's really what, what this is about. Jesus says this, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love each other as I have loved you. This is a gospel principle I've talked about a hundred times from up here. Everything God has done to you and for you, he now wants to do through you. Okay, he's loved you so that you can love. And so the good news for us is that God has loved us unconditionally. God has seen us like the real us and did not turn away. God listens to us, our anxieties and fears and our hopes and dreams. You see what I'm doing here? God looks you in the eye and treats you with dignity. He always has and he always will. God has brought you into a family who laughs at your lame jokes and who tells you lame jokes. God has brought you into a family who cooks for you and will eat your food, even though it's not very good. God loves you so much, he will not only help you move boxes, but will weep with you when you weep and rejoice with you when you rejoice. Do you, you see what I'm getting at? 
We have been loved in such a way so that we can love the people around us. To love our neighbor is to lay down our lives to them, to serve them in whatever way possible. And of course, there's a very practical way that in which we can display the love of Christ to our neighbors as we help them with yard work or watch their kids or move boxes or lend them our trailers. But I'd say, the, I, and I'd say for the most part, we're pretty good at this, this bit. But I believe that as we prioritize loving our actual neighbors, God is going to create opportunities for us to ultimately point them to the Savior of the world, who is indeed the friend of sinners. What I'm talking about is evangelism, or learning to evangelize, to share the good news that Jesus' kingdom has in fact arrived, that God is for them and loves them and is able to forgive even the most grievous of sins, that God restores sights and gives purpose, that God offers mercy and hope. This is what our neighbors are waiting to hear. Um, a, a recent study done by Barna discovered these three qualities our neighbors value most in a person with whom they would talk about spiritual matters. So when we're thinking about eventually getting to that point of, of sharing the good news of Jesus with our neighbors. Um, and the first thing is this. They're looking for someone who will listen to them without judgment. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, I taught on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' um, instruction about not judging. Um, we learn that there is most definitely a difference between judgment and discernment. We're not to just say, you know, do whatever you want to do. Like, there is a difference between judgment and discernment. But what Jesus is getting at and what I think this, this uh, study is getting at is our neighbors are looking for people who will not listen to them and condemn them. They're not looking to be condemned. And Jesus, of course, never condemned as well. Uh, before, this is an example of Jesus doing this. Before Jesus offered healing to the blind man, he listens by asking, what would you like me to do for you? He listens without judgment. Uh, the second thing people are looking for and in, in talks about spiritual matters is someone who will allow me to draw my own conclusions. We aren't the ones who need to make people decide to follow Jesus. So the pressure's off. You can't do that. It's not your job. Um, we don't need to argue them to faith because think about it this way. If they've been argued into faith, they can be argued out of faith. Rest in Jesus as you do this. He is not insecure about your neighbor's thoughts about him. So our neighbors are looking for someone who will allow, us to, allow them to draw their own conclusions. Jesus does this with the rich young ruler by give, giving him a choice. And ultimately, he chose and he walked away and he went away sad. Matthew 19. Thirdly, our neighbors are looking for someone who has confidence in sharing their own perspective. Are we willing and able to tell our own stories of how God's grace intersected with our lives? Our, our neighbors actually want to hear that. They want to hear how you've been found by God and, and, and rescued and resurrected and all these things. Our ongoing experiences of life with God. Our confidence in the finished work of Christ. And I would just say, and I would just add this, add to this, like this, let's learn to talk about our experience with God in English and not in Christianese. Jesus boldly said to them, like, no, no holds barred. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when we think about evangelism, and again, guys, this is just a primer, but as we're thinking about this, our neighbors are looking for someone who will listen without judgment, someone who will allow them to draw their own conclusions, and someone who has confidence in sharing their own perspective and story. Jesus, we read, um, earned the nickname Friend of Sinners, Luke 7, verse 34, because he loved his neighbors the way they wanted to be loved. 
And for us to create a culture of evangelism, we will risk being called friends of sinners and become people who love our actual neighbors. So Jesus, just to summarize that, those couple paragraphs, Jesus and only Jesus is the savior we're all looking for. But what if you could be the friend your neighbors are looking for? Because you have been loved so that you can love others. So then who is my neighbor and how do I love them? To love someone, it actually helps to know their name. Let me say that one more time. To know someone, to love someone, it actually helps to know their name. God really started to convict me of this and my own lack of love for my neighbors. In a session I went to uh, this fall, I went to that conference in Orlando. And um, in the middle of a talk by this guy named Jay Pathak, he said, hey, everyone pull out a, a piece of paper and draw a tic-tac-toe board. And I want you to put, a, like, in the center of the tic-tac-toe board is your house. And I want you to, in those eight squares around there, I would like you to write the names of your eight closest neighbors. Like, in terms of proximity, not in terms of relational connection. Who are the people that live, the eight people who live the closest to you? What are their names? And what are some things you know about them? And bonus points, where are they at in their faith, if you know these things? And it was, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even do the eight squares. I didn't know the names of my eight closest neighbors. He's like, you can't just say red car or mustache or cat lady or things like that. You have to like actually know their name. And he said he's done this over, over the years so many times. And he said typically about 1% of the people can actually fill the whole eight squares out fully. Talk about humbling. I could not fill out my squares and so I found myself, just like the, the, the lawyer in that story, justifying myself. Well, I mean, God, who is my neighbor? I mean, I, I do all these things for other people. I mean, who is my, I, who is my neighbor, God? And he, like, I was looking to self-justify myself. Can I choose who de like the definition of who my neighbor is? I mean, I'm loving all these people who like the same things I like, who like the same food I love. And I go to my church, coincidentally. And I'm sending money overseas to charities. And, you know, all of a sudden I realized all these things, like my neighbors become metaphorical at a certain point. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, if we think about that whole idea of who, we're, who, who we are to love, he extends it all the way to enemies, which is pretty intense. So that's like graduate level stuff. This is what Jay Pathak goes on to say. He's like, what Jesus is getting at in that story is actually graduate level stuff. So you need to realize where you're at on your journey. And he's like, what if we started at the kindergarten level? And I was like, okay, yeah, what's, what do we got to do there? That's where I'm at. How do I, what are my ABCs? And so that's where I want us to start as a community. Um, I'm suggesting to you, and what at the end of Jay's talk was, what if we started at the kindergarten level? And what if we started by learning the names of our literal neighbors? And maybe you're already there. And if you are, amazing, keep going. But it, maybe you're like me and you need some help here. So what if we started at the kindergarten level and started to learn the names of our literal, actual neighbors? Then our neighbors become more than a metaphor. They become human beings with names and needs and hopes and dreams. Because if our neighbors are metaphorical, we'll only end up meeting metaphorical needs with a metaphorical gospel. But if they're real and they have names we know and we pray for them and take time to get to know them, we can point them to the one who can meet their actual very real need with the real message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's start there. 
This is our vision, my friends, to learn to love our literal, actual neighbors the same way that we have been loved. And just a thought for you to ponder. God in his sovereignty has placed you in the house you're in with the neighbors you have right here and right now for a purpose. He knew you'd live next to Steve and Laura. Or whoever you're, I'm just guessing. Those are my one neighbor's names. I don't know what your neighbor's names are. He knew you're going to live where you do, when you do. And Acts 17 says this, for one man, he, sorry, from one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. God knew where you're going to live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This morning in our prayer, our pre-service prayer, shout out to pre-service prayer, come at 9.30 on Sundays, guys, and pray with us. Um, but Klaus was just reminding us that it's easy for us to forget that the Spirit of God is already working. He's already doing things in your neighbor. He's already pursuing them. He's already going ahead of you and preparing conversations and stuff to do. So please don't feel, my heart this morning is not to put pressure on you. It's, it's like God is inviting us into something he's already up to which changes it completely. We can't go out and save our communities. We can go out and, and be, befriend people and point them to the one who can save them. And we can go and uncover the kingdom of God where it's already at work rather than we don't bring the kingdom. We uncover the kingdom of God. That makes sense? Okay. So you live where you live for a purpose next to the neighbors you live to for a reason so that you can be a friend to them and point them to the savior they're actually looking for. Again, Jesus Christ is the savior of the world and only Jesus will be able to save your neighbors from sin, Satan, death, and hell. The pressure's off. You don't have to do that. But as followers of Jesus, the friend of sinners, let's learn how to be friends to our neighbors to the glory of God. So again, just I'll, I'll say it one more time ad nauseum because I think this is a helpful way to just think about it. Let Jesus be the savior, but let's learn to be their friends. A few practical things. And like we want to actually not just say, hey guys, this is the vision, go do it. We're not going to change anything in the church. We're going to kind of actually just make you just shove more things into your schedule. Like how am I supposed to go to a community group and prayer meetings and then have my neighbors over? Ugh. So we're actually like trying to take this seriously. And so what we've decided is we're actually going to like, first of all, start with this week of prayer and fasting because anything worth doing, we start with prayer. Okay, so we start with prayer. This week, we will be resp responding to the invitation to learn to love our neighbors as we have been loved by praying and fasting. And so again, Jess mentioned, I sent an email out last week with some questions about fasting. Why do we fast? I, I sent a link to a sermon I did a couple years ago on fasting, but there's a reason why we fast and there's a reason why we pray. We want to seek God for his power and, and wisdom and how we're going to go about doing this. So we want to begin with prayer by asking God for his help. We're not doing this for God. We're doing this with God. Um, and so this week's focus, you may have, if you read that email, you realize it's all about praying for our actual neighbors. It's, it's like a bunch of prayer walks. It's about like maybe going across the street and knocking on your neighbor's door and awkwardly introducing yourself and saying, Hey, I've lived here for 14 years and my name's Tom. What's your name? Um, and I trust, like honestly trust like this morning, I feel stirred. My faith is stirred that God is like, he's excited about this. He is for this and that he's going to use this time to share his heart and help us see what he's already up to in our neighborhoods. Any parents know, like when our kids take an interest in the things that we're interested in, it's kind of cool to share like our heart and what, you know, 
whatever that may be. It's like God is in the business or in the, has the joy of wanting to save people and to befriend them. So he's excited we want to learn how to do that. Secondly, so we're going to start with prayer and fasting. Our community groups are going to take a different shape than they have in, in the years past. And so we're going to be launching our groups next week on Monday. And this year we're going to be doing something. It's not crazy different. And, and the idea is this. Sometimes less is more. And so we're going, instead of meeting every week, we're going to be meeting every other week with the, with the intention of you having one extra free night so that you can potentially hang out with your neighbors. Who knows? Um, and so in those, in those, uh, so between now and, uh, the end of 2023, we're going to be doing a six part study on the art of neighboring by this guy, Jay Pathak that I was talking about. And so each week you're going to come together. You're actually going to be filling out that tic-tac-toe board. You're going to be praying together in your community group for the people that you know in your neighborhood, your actual neighbors by name. There's going to be all kinds of conversation and dialogue and scripture about learning how to become better neighbors. Okay, so we're, we're going to be talking and thinking about this in our community groups. And then in the new year, um, we may be going into another book where it talks about uh, forming some new habits around the idea of neighboring. So the habits would be learning to bless, to eat, to listen, to learn, and to be sent. So that's just stay tuned for that. But the idea is we're going to shift to less frequent meetings so that we can actually have more space and time to hang out with our neighbors. Okay. Cause we don't just want to add to, you know, just, Oh, just thank you for the grace of God. And we end up having to do way more stuff than we can are capable of doing. Um, and then finally our teaching. So our, we're, we're going back into Matthew next week and we're going to be thinking about the, the grace of God and the freedom of God. And then in January, we're going to be into this whole doctrine of evangelism where Jesus actually sends out the disciples. So all of these things are kind of working together. Um, and that's God's sovereignty. He knew where we were going to be and he knows where we are and he's going to be with us all the way through. You guys good? Okay. So we began with grace and I'd like to end with grace and then we're going to sing a song. I would like to suggest to you that for those of us uh, who are doing our best to follow Jesus, grace is the best teacher. If we have any hope of learning to become the type of people who are ab truly able to obey the great commandment, it must begin with an experience of the God who steps down to earth to be with me and to be with you. This grace, this one way love is freely given and will sustain all that we've talked about today. God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have done everything possible for you to experience freedom and forgiveness and unconditional love. They've done it all. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, Savior of the world, laid down his life for us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Here ends our striving and climbing the ladder building to get to God instead of, instead of this, God comes down to us. Anyone else exhausted with trying to build a ladder to get to God? The good news is he came down to us. He brings heaven to earth and on the cross of Christ, all of our sin, our selfishness, our delusion, our shame, he takes it on. He takes it head on and he gets underneath it all, all of the gross mess of it all. Everything that you've ever done, could do or have done to you is paid for on the cross of Calvary. And there on the cross, Jesus took the full weight of what we deserve. And this is where God's glory is shown most poignantly and viscerally to us. This is what God is really like. A holy God who is willing to lay down his life, his own life for the sake of others. 
we could say it this simply. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's the good news, guys. When we fail to love our neighbors as ourselves, guess what? Jesus still loves us. Let me say that again. When you fail, because you will, fail to love your neighbor as yourself, guess what? Jesus still loves you. He's still crazy about you. God is not mad at you. He is for you. He is willing to teach you. He wants you to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. He's here for all of the journey, the ups and downs, the awkwardness. He shows up. He, he knows that eventually all these missed opportunities will be transformed into new priorities. We trust this to you, God. Amen.